Hi everyone and welcome to Noisebusters. <sighs> this is the first episode of Hopefully Many. We hope to bring a lot of awareness to acoustics, noise and vibration. Uh, we want to provide a bit of education for those that want to know more, but also talk to key people in the industry about their experience, what projects they're working on and any papers they're developing, but also bring you updates of goings-on in the world of acoustics, noise and vibration. I'm Dan Clayton and my noise business partner is George Gibbs. Hi George. Hi Dan, how's it going? Yeah, I'm all right, mate. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's Friday afternoon, so pretty happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Friday morning here. So just so everyone knows, I'm in Calgary and uh, George is over there in Warrington in the UK. Yep. Sunny Warrington. And uh, we didn't want to get into too much depth on our first episode. It's more about bringing awareness to, to the show. And we're going to start introducing ourselves, a bit of history of our time in the field of acoustics uh, and really just set it up for future episodes. So if you want to come on the show and chat about a book you're bringing out, a paper, an article, maybe an interesting project you've worked on, or just to chat about your experience in general, it'd be great for you to get in touch with us. So our email is noisebustersdb at gmail.com and you can reach out to us. And both George and myself are on LinkedIn if you want to reach out that way. So absolutely no problem. Uh, we'll consider all kind of things. So I think we should introduce ourselves, George. Should I go first? Yeah, go for it. So I'm not sure how far back to go, really. Um, right back. All right the way back. back. All the way school. back to the, the dawn of school. Right, when I was two. No. Um, so <laughs> You went to school at two? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was ahead of time. You know that. Um, so I guess my acoustics journey, if that's a thing, started when I had a careers meeting in high school, if you remember those things, where you get forced to go and talk to someone about planning the next 20 years of your life. And it was quite interesting, actually, because the person asked me what I was interested in. I was kind of like, well, I like music, maths, physics, that sort of thing. And anything that kind of touches on those three would be really cool. And then she was like, well, there's this degree at Salford that is acoustics. And it was something I'd really heard of before. I was like 15 or something. And it turned out to be something that really appealed to me. So I went to the facility, did the walk around and did all that. It was actually that old facility at the time and they were moving to this new one across the river, if you call it a river, um, the River Irwell, dirty place, trolleys and that. But we basically started to look around and, and it seemed like it really appealed to me. So it had a nice balance of not just mm, kind of mathematics and physics and theory, but it had like practical laboratory kind of investigation work as well. So it was really interesting and having a musical background, it really just intrigued me. So I signed up for that, went through that, did the placement year that they offer as part of the uh, course, which was really useful. I did training and that placement year at a small specialised acoustics, uh, kind of more building acoustics consultancy in Edinburgh. And it was really useful to have that year's experience when I came out of university to just kind of give me that running start if you like coming out of uni but the problem was the year later was like 2008-2009 when the recession hit and there were no jobs whatsoever so it was a pretty slow start to the kind of career really so I ended up working in retail a bit which was great because it gave me that kind of experience to be customer facing and I'd never done that before I was always in the dark depths of a kitchen like shuffling chips around so it was uh an interesting thing to kind of push me in that direction. But then like a, a year later, I managed to get into a small consultancy where we were working on building acoustics projects. So like studio design, um, small environmental studies for 
single kind of industrial plant applications and uh, residential uses. So it was quite a small company. So kind of had to deal with a lot of stuff from an early part of my career. So like invoicing, getting clients, developing them, doing the work as well and reviewing all those sorts of things. So it was quite interesting start. And then a couple of years later, I moved to a larger company that did a similar kind of thing, focusing on building acoustics. So doing more of the bigger infrastructure projects as well, from like uh, schools, hospital design to uh, road kind of infrastructure projects and industrial gas stations and, and all sorts of things. And then after that, I moved on to the large multidisciplinary consultancy, more of the environmental stuff, which is where I met George. And we did more of a like environmental noise, vibration kind of focus. And it was really the biggest stuff. And I developed a lot there um, just through the kind of exposure to projects, working on all sorts of things, oil and gas, wind power, transportation. I basically touched everything in that time. And there was a great team around, a very positive attitude. A lot of people wanting to learn, do a great job, which was uh, really cool. Was there for about six years and then moved to Calgary in Canada. So up roots and moved to a relatively small consultancy compared to the last two I'd been with um, and they have a kind of broad spectrum from building acoustics environmental and it's quite interesting moving away from the UK where it's very heavily regulated from a noise and acoustics background to western Canada where there's very little in comparison. It still happens but it's been quite a transition to start to find my way in that kind of environment. So I've been here a couple of years and it's been good, exciting and yeah, but that's that's kind of me to a T really up to now. So, George, your turn. So I guess first I want to really know who your favourite Beatle is. <laughs> Ringo. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <Keep it> simple. <laughs> no question. I mean, the man's a genius. He had he had the uh, least talent, yet he, um, you know, is as rich as the other three. So who's laughing? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, no, yeah, I absolutely love Ringo. Um, it can't have been that good, Dan, because you left to go to Canada. That's what, that's um, that's yeah, what you told me on your exit interview. But you know, oh well. <laughs> <laughs> um, you went back to being two, but my background, as I can think, is I is in about year two thousand. Um, we we used to do it at school where you um, you do a list of uh, questions and it tells you what your um, what your profession should be based based on your answers you know I think it's 50 questions or something um and my best mate who sat next to me he actually got fence painter which I thought was like <laughs> inspired <laughs> I think it wasn't quite that bad but I got um I got volcanologist and I sort of knew from then that I wanted okay. to work in the um, work in the sciences so yeah a bit like you I did, had sort of physics maths background and I my undergraduate I went did engineering but did the general environmental one which meant I did you know I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to do something environmental. So, um, and environmental covers sort of mechanical, civil, chemical, uh, air quality. Didn't do that much noise, um, physics, maths, blah, blah, blah. Um, so it did everything. And I sort of knew from that, that I didn't want to be a general, um, environmentalist. Um, and I, I left and became, um, a water engineer mm-hmm. and uh, not after doing uh, that for very long, um, so an opportunity with well over here we have these sort of sort of a local government regulator so we're you know, split up in into um, councils and each council has responsibility to make decisions on things like planning applications and license applications and um, 
quite regularly they have a noise expert and the job just came up near to where I lived in Liverpool. And um, I did that for two years and it was absolutely fantastic. And what it meant is that you you learnt quite a lot on the job because of the fact that you got you had to make comment on, review and evaluate a whole range of applications from, you know, the noise uh, impact of a fish and chip shop to, you know, a, the moving of a dual carriageway or a, you know, a, a huge new freight exchange, you know, building new train stations. So it was really, really dynamic and interesting and difficult. Um, and a fantastic time. But like you, um, the when the crash happened in 2008, how varied the work was sort of dried up and I decided to move to consultancy. So move to the developer side, which is, which was a bit mental at the time, really in hindsight. But what that meant is that I could then work on the other side, which I think is actually more challenging um, and um, sort of work on some of these big projects. And um, the company I worked for, we did things like, um, you know, power stations, new road schemes, new rail schemes, what I particularly wanted to move for was uh, wind farms renewables. That was what I was particularly interested in. And um, after a couple of years there, I got into that and did that quite a lot for about five or six years. It was the time that in the UK, wind farm was very big. So I was very lucky to experience that. And obviously at the same time, um, you joined <laughs> mm-hmm. and we had a good, how many years was it? Four or five years, maybe? Just over five, yeah. Five yeah. years, yeah. And it was great. So I guess I consider myself very lucky that I've worked for both developer and the regulator. Probably found out less so that I've learned more, but more that I've um, discovered more things that I know very little about. And I think that's the bit that's most exciting about the job. And I think you probably agree because we still have these discussions now where we just call up and go, what would you do about this? Um, and um, it's never like, oh my God, what do you do about this? It's like, oh, this is quite interesting. What would, how would you approach this? Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. So Jim, I'm still in consultancy now and still focusing on things that I'm passionate and interested in. And um, th- I mean, the other thing that's great about um, acoustics, which I think we'll come on and talk about, is that the mechanics behind it, you know, the the physical aspects of it are don't change doesn't matter in which country you're in, um, a DB is a DB. The, mm-hmm. the bit that changes from country to country is the way we assess it and the way we um, define it or the way we evaluate it. And that's the bit that keeps interest. And that's why these sort of discussions are interesting. It's like, oh, how, how do you guys deal with this problem? It is really interesting and it's a proper international subject as well, which is great. Yeah, I think everyone can relate to it because even though they might not be aware of it initially, noise especially affects people every single day. If it's just communicating with someone at a train station or trying to get to sleep at night and all these sorts of things, it's so relatable. But yet the general public are unaware of really what's done behind the scenes and and explaining what I do as a job to people that just have no idea. So like even just explaining to my grandmother and granddad that just what I do isn't play acoustic guitar for a living. And it's just uh, interesting to... <laughs> hear people's perspective and they thought that for a while just because I played guitar it was like no no it's not it's not what happens Uh, so it's nice to be able to start this podcast and well video episode as well to try and bring awareness to people and help them figure out more and digest things like acoustic reports more easily and what's going on and be more informed 
generally on the sort of thing. So I think that's my aim. I think that's what we both want to do and bring more awareness to things like the health effects associated with noise because I think we're still in the early stages of adopting that as part of assessments and procedures globally. So I think that's quite an important thing that I want to get across and help people with. So I think I've mentioned this beforehand. This is purely um, selfish on my part because <laughs> I like talking to people about um, stuff that I want to learn about. And yep. um, we are at a stage in the career where we have quite a lot of friends in the industry that know a lot about subjects that we find interesting. And we felt that this was a good um, medium to investigate that, to basically say, can you come on and have a chat to us? Oh, by the way, we're going to film it as well. And I yeah. thought, you know, on the off chance, um, other people might also find it interesting. So that's, I mean, I say it's, it's purely selfish, this endeavour on my part. Well, I think both of us, I think, and why, why the hell not? Like, <laughs> let's do it. I mean, yeah, I'm interested to see who comes on. We've got a couple of people lined up to talk, um, both in the industry and kind of outside what I think we'll do is maybe talk a little bit about what acoustics is, George, and distinctions between the kind of common areas of that, I think. When I think of acoustics, that's kind of a broad brush kind of sector statement for what we do, and all things like noise, sound, vibration really fit in that subject. But I think when I think acoustics, I really start to think inside. I think like room acoustics, uh, concert halls, the quality of spaces for education and speech intelligibility, those sorts of things, and transfer between spaces, kind of sound, insulation, proofing type stuff, and uh, kind of recording studios. That's what comes to mind for me in terms of acoustics. And when we move to things like sound, vibration, noise, that sort of thing, it becomes more general, I think, with uh, the difference between sound and noise. To me, sound is something you measure uh, and it's the physical quantity that we're measuring, the kind of movement of the waves in air or water, whatever we're doing. And the noise aspect of that is kind of when people find that annoying and the general population don't really want that kind of sound. So like traffic noise and uh, anything like industrial that they're not really wanting. At the house property line, noise is the unwanted aspect, the kind of subjective kind of interpretation, whether it's uh, conscious or unconscious. And then vibration to me is just things that shake and wobble before it becomes in the air. So like vibration is your earthquakes, your train going past and shaking your house and and that sort of thing. So it's kind of a general introduction to those three things. And I want to break down some of those things more. So if you're kind of outside the industry and have more questions that you have that want us to cover, please feel free to email in at our email address, noisebustersdb at gmail.com. And we can cover some of that stuff. So, Judge, what, what do you think about these uh, topics? I think you described it really well there, Dan, to be honest. Um, I mean, the acoustics is is just described as the science of sound. And, and sound, it's purely the, the pressure that you, you hear. And I think you touched on this um, as well, is that by being something that you hear, it's inherently subjective because not mm -hmm. everybody hears the same thing. And um, one of the important aspects that we consider is noise, because that is not only um, the subjective element of so what somebody hears and also doesn't like. And um, a lot of what we do is understanding um, the likelihood or uh, prevalence of aspects of sound that are unwanted. And that subjective element of what we of how we work makes it more interesting because unlike some other disciplines where you look at um, a, a metric or something and it has a limit, 
Um, you say you can't exceed that limit. When it does, it's bad. Blah blah blah. Um, that's great. Uh, but what acoustics does? It has that. But also, you have to then start to think is. Um, how does that limit relate to how people experience it and what kind of people are you affecting? You know, are you affecting um, people while they're working? Are you affecting people while they're learning? Are you particularly sensitive people? And that's the bit I think that makes acoustics really a really interesting and dynamic subject is that there's always this element of subjectivity that means that two people can always have a really good discussion um, with differing opinions. Yeah, as I mentioned beforehand, the, the general principles are the same no matter what country you go to, but the interesting bit is that it's the interpretation and understanding of how those different countries, those different areas, those different different people apply that understanding to actual effect. Yeah, and that's the hardest part of the job, really, I've found over the years, is that we're always applying kind of very general, broad brush kind of, you know, confidence in terms of a scientific testing kind of results and um, consensus, if you like. But when it comes down, it's very, very person to person. It varies so much. So you can assess loads and loads of things with loads of guidance. And sometimes, you know, people might not still be happy with it. And that makes the job more interesting to me. And I've always got that at the back of my mind to, to help kind of grow and understand and just talking to people more about it. If it's the general public or people technically that have had you know, exposure to different sectors more than I have. And it's interesting because I think every situation, every job project, no matter if you're doing like a road project um, or an air project or, or whatever, but if you move the project to a different location, you'll probably get a completely different response to noise because everyone's, you're in a different location in terms of the people that are around it. So it makes it different every time, even though you're looking at the same stuff. So I find that quite interesting. Um mm -hmm. In terms of what acousticians do, I think, you know, generally what we do as acousticians in my day-to-day -day job is we assess sound, um, vibration, and just make sure that we are quantifying the kind of impacts and the likelihood that someone's going to be bothered by this kind of sound that's either going in or is existing, or and we're then providing recommendations to treat that or control that noise generally um, if we need to, um, or describe how it's going to be okay and what measures are in place to, to make that okay. So often people don't know that's even a thing that's been done, but um, that's a good reflection on the industry probably. So Definitely. In terms of noise, we would we generally looking at where somebody's proposing something new that's likely to introduce a new noise or increase um, the levels of existing noise or where they're um, looking to change something where it would, again, increase noise or, ch or, or change noise. And I think that the main things that we look at are um, when they're introducing a new road or they're introducing a new railway or uh, they're introducing well, less a new airport but changes to, a, to an existing airport, you know, things like flight paths. Um, they're, you know, they're things like maybe a supermarket market's extending its hours and they're looking at, you know, um, introducing traffic that's occurring during the night time and, and affecting people. And it's, it's all those sort of noise that some people might not realize that there's quite a lot of assessment work goes into 
and these sort of developments when they're being proposed. It's not just noise, all sorts of environmental disciplines are considered. But the, but the other aspect of um, acoustics is um, the improvement of sound quality. So most of our efforts are spent in terms of reducing noise, but emerging um, disciplines are around understanding, quantifying um, sound quality, you know, things like um, tranquility and mm -hmm. looking at ways at how we can improve it or increase the areas where it is cherished or where it is important. A disproportionate amount of time is spent on it in terms of a not enough. And it's definitely an emerging part of the, the industry. It's something I know that you and I are definitely interested in. Um, and, we, and we talk about those sort of um, uh, developments that I mentioned, sort of transportation developments, is the, is the main bulk of, of what we do. But acoustics covers lots of industries and lots lots of developments and um, that's partly why we want to do this we want to talk to people in some of those more fringe or emerging aspects that we want to learn more about um, and so that we can look to introduce into into how we work it's interesting to hear you say that because like when i was in the uk that was a lot of what we did like transportation noise was a big thing um but like it's crazy like moving to western canada that's far less of a thing and it's kind of looked at a little bit but the kind of guidance and the approach is really isn't isn't there uh, like the main focus is very much industrial energy kind of power stuff it's very much regulated in like a sector base and i'll get into this in more detail but i just wanted to push that kind of out there that there are differences like across the world and the uk to me is still one of the leading entities in this kind of thing and it's exciting to hear more discussions on tranquility and the quality of sound rather than just level and reducing noise from something i think it's important we start to have that conversation and bring more awareness and i know we want to talk to people in that field and in that industry to get their insight and help us improve and try and bring awareness to those things so i think that's uh, something that we want to push for so hopefully other people want to listen and hear and that sort of stuff as well Obviously, over here, we are incredibly densely populated. So yeah. I wouldn't say that people were more sensitive to change. Any change is more likely to affect a larger number of people. So, um, you know, we're changing of a road scheme, you know, a relatively densely populated road scheme in the UK um, would be completely different to a relatively densely populated road scheme in Canada. It might be, you know tens of houses where it might be thousands of houses here so um small changes can have much larger impacts because um you know impacts aren't just on a, on a receptor by receptor basis they're judged on the you know how many receptors experience that small change and i think what's happening in canada and i know i've seen this with things like um renewables like wind farms is that they're less regulated because generally there's more space to put them so when you put a wind farm, you can, you know, there, there might be a couple of people. So I think that's what drives the regulation quite a lot here is, to, is in terms of how densely populated we are, uh, which is good. Like 10 years ago, it wasn't 15 years ago, let's say it was nowhere near the same landscape in the UK as it is now. Now, in terms of the assessment procedure, that's kind of developed a little bit, but the kind of it's been there in essence and kind of changed names and stuff. But I think mainly the kind of requirement for noise to be considered in many, many aspects of planning kind of things. And that's the main difference here really to me is that there's no kind of 
overarching person looking at all these different developments. So you do still, it's funny you mentioned the wind farm stuff, is that, I mean, I've dealt with one recently that you have turbines going up next to houses and people are unaware that it's happening because there's no body kind of saying, yes, you can build a house there or no, you can't. And they're kind of separate. So it kind of is a little bit dysfunctional. So it kind of, it's interesting and definitely something I want to dig into more in a kind of future episode. And yeah, I think that's a cool little introduction. Not really scared anyone away, hopefully. So, um, okay, cool. So I think we want to dive into the news now, just a bit of acoustics, general news. So I think it's a good time to crack a can. Um, I'm drinking the Siding 14 Pale Ale from here in, Cal- in Alberta. Um, oh, very nice. It's just, just gone to the afternoon, so I think I'm good to go. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm drinking the traditional British San Miguel. <laughs> <laughs> San Michael. You're a sophisticated man. Um, mm. Well, yeah, cheers, George. Cheers. Um, so I think the first thing I really want to touch on briefly is... COVID-19 and the effects it's had in acoustics really and not really just the industry in general in terms of work and that sort of thing it's more what's happened in the kind of environment and the kind of acoustic environment that we live in I think to me there was quite a drastic change when the real pandemic really hit properly and we were in lockdown and not as many people were traveling and that sort of thing and saw big reductions in things like road traffic noise, uh, aviation noise. I live under a flight path, so that was really noticeable. And then when it's starting to come back now, it's more noticeable that it's coming back. So having conversations are a little bit difficult in the garden, um, but I live directly under a flight path, so that makes sense. But it just shows how much we've been affected by this. Um, And then doing things like surveys, in my mind, become slightly more difficult and having projects where atypical noise from road traffic networks which is probably the most common kind of source in the general urban areas um even rural depending on where you are it becomes difficult so you have to kind of rely on previous work and make assumptions and kind of do that sort of thing so it's been quite interesting and the only time i really remember something similar to this was when i was in england and we had that um volcano erupt in iceland and aviation kind of ground to a halt and everything went quiet from the sky so that's the only time I remember it being similar and doing surveys then. It's kind of a similar thing, but at least you had road traffic. I think this is a different kind of thing uh, altogether. So what's it been like over there, George? It's a nice cheery subject to start on, Dan. Yeah, yeah. that's why we're <laughs> drinking. <Yeah. laughs> um, it's probably much the same as you guys. I mean, um, I didn't want to sort of dwell too much on the negative stuff because there's been quite a f- bit of positive stuff that's come out of this. Yeah. Um, the industry has been really asking questions, um, mostly along the lines of two main themes. One of them is to do with the logistics of what we do. So um, we do a lot of um, site work and obviously with restrictions in terms of um, travel, accommodation, you know, safety whilst on site, um, the COVID-19 has meant that the way we would usually do work or usually go to site is severely affected, not least also that um, we can't actually get into the offices where we work. So um, the way people working is remotely and you've got these remote teams where you're sharing stuff over networks and um, it's been incredibly challenging, um, but that's not u- unique to the UK. And also 
what isn't unique to the UK is the um, the technical aspects. So not only the logistics, but obviously COVID-19 means that by us not being able to go to site, we also can't undertake um, surveys, which we use to validate things like our, our models. And um, what that's led to is a lot of questions or uh, thinking around do we really need to do that in terms of what we do? Um, you know, how important is it? Are there different ways in terms of how we um, obtain data, use data, um, present data? And um, some of the positives is there's been big moves forward in terms of GIS. Um, over here very recently, um, there has been um, a large development that has used what's been called a digital EIA, which is basically an environmental summary report, but it's it's digital. So rather than being um, the reports that people maybe are more used to, which is sort of um, a PDF Microsoft Word document, this is actually something far more interactive. So, you know, it, it, rather than you scroll through it and, you know, you scroll down to section seven, scroll down, down section eight, blah, blah. It, it has things like maps that you can click on and it takes you to the information in different sections. And it's just far more interactive and far more user-friendly. And I'm pretty sure that a lot of the thinking behind that has been accelerated because of, of COVID-19. And also the other thing that is a positive is um, our understanding of change. So, it's very difficult, you know, you get you get um, what we call is noise creep here or sound creep, whatever you want to call it, is that, you know, developments would add a tiny bit of noise onto the previous development and it'd get larger and larger and larger. And you actually don't notice the, um, the tiny changes, but by having something like COVID-19 uh, means that everything sort of goes back to the absolute baseline. You know, things drop and we can really get a better understanding of, what level of change is occurring because of developments. I'm aware of studies in terms of uh, noise impact on biodiversity, things like, um, I suppose a good example is things like shipping lanes. So they know that with huge reductions in the use of shipping traffic means that um, some of the migration paths of species change, which, which implies that the shipping uh, the use of shipping lanes and also the noise that comes from them must have an effect on how species migrate, travel, etc. Um, and I think that that is another one of the positives that has come out of this is the ability to um, to learn on about the change that's occurred. But there's, I mean, there's there's far more bad things that have happened. But I suppose we're just trying to put a bit of a positive spin on it. <laughs> it's interesting like you can't just look at it with a bad light i think you've got to try and make the most of it and i'm sure people are doing loads of innovative things to try and get around these issues that we're having and i don't know I, i'd love to hear from people to try and maybe comment below and let us know what they've been doing and how it's affected them and maybe how the noise is affected in their area or i think it's just interesting to see all these things kind of come up and i think it's important that we look at the changes that are happening and you know how long it will take to come back to normal who knows and uh, things might be different for a long time I, I don't know but uh, I think we could talk about this all day so I, I think uh, I think let's leave it there 
Okay, so the next article I wanted to talk about is the, I've been diving into more of the ecology world, which is something that interests me personally, but I haven't really done a huge amount of stuff in acoustics with it kind of fed noise levels to ecologists, but that's kind of where it stops for most of us. And what I came across was an article in New Scientist, and it's basically, there's a recent study being done, and it was by Ludwig uh, Maximilians University in Munich. And basically what they've done is adult bats can change their social calls by imitating modified calls. So they played um, kind of different calls at these bats and treated them. Uh, with mashed banana when they got it right and they've actually found that this has changed uh, and they can learn these things so there's there's a few animals that can do this um, in in the natural world we can obviously Um, I default to some crazy accent sometimes Um, then there's whales dolphins seals and elephants apparently so quite interesting article so I just wanted to touch on that to try and dig people in to that kind of stuff going on Mm -hmm. in the more of ecology world I don't know if I'd be too enticed by the banana stuff. I'm not that fond of banana. I'd probably go for like, what, you know, a pale ale or something. That's probably <laughs> what I would go for. How about you, George? San Miguel? Yeah. Um, no, I love banana. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. Uh, so, yeah, the next article that I came up with uh, was... Well, no, I mean, it's, I mean it's, it's really clever. I mean, it must be to do with something, to do with either, you know, it's either mating or... Um, avoiding predators or um to identify prey uh, but i have to admit when you were first talking about it the first thing that came to mind was was uh, was a parrot which yeah <laughs> which um it's, it's slightly less menacing when you're thinking about a parrot just saying what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> that's what you train your parrot to that, say <laughs> that's, that's literally what i was thinking about when you were talking about it I was thinking, i wonder if that's why parrots <laughs> maybe but yeah I did, yeah, I forgot about parrots. Yeah, weird that whales and dolphins were the first thing that came yeah, to it was, mind. It was all the sea animals you mentioned. It was whales, dolphins, and elephants. <laughs> I mean, yeah, elephants. I don't get that. Yeah. Apparently they do. Who knows? Uh, so, yeah, the next article that I came up with uh, was basically there's a, there's, a, there's a new kind of study gone on. What they've done is put the same singer in different acoustic environments and seen how they kind of approach and change the way they sing based on what environment they're in. And I sing a bit kind of on the side and notice that this is a thing that I kind of do subconsciously and maybe not acoustically because um, the, the places I normally sing in are like pubs or clubs and normally have terrible acoustics anyway. But it's more like when there's high noise environments and you start to learn to use different parts of your kind of sensory system. So you use like internal sound for staying in tune when you can't hear yourself singing through like peer systems and stuff. But this is interesting in that they've shown that singers actually adapt and change when they're put in different, like more reverberant spaces, say, and they can actually change. And it depends how much of the direct sound they're hearing and can actually adapt and change. So it's quite interesting. Uh, study really I find so I think I assume that that's that's good singers because I'm interested that um, that you do that Dan yeah well thanks but uh, it's uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah no it's like you know operatic soprano type singers and uh, yeah they can actually do it quite well Um, and I imagine they have to do it anyway and I don't know if it's becomes natural or you have to train to do it i guess just exposure and doing your ten thousand hours or whatever it's called to to become an expert in it i think it's yeah it's interesting so i just wanted to bring 
kind of a highlight to that, those three different worlds of acoustics that are going on. And uh, if anyone has any insight or any other articles they want to share, we'd be happy to hear about them. So I think that's a good way to sign off and really leave it, George, as our first episode. I think um, I think it's been a good little introduction, hopefully, and people have found it useful. So I really hope that people can like, put a comment, share the video if you feel that's something you want to do. And uh, if you're listening on the podcast, it'd be great if you could rate it, leave a review and maybe subscribe. And uh, yeah, if you feel that you want to come on the show and talk about something that you're working on or just tell your story, I'm quite interested to get some of the old fellows of the Institute of Acoustics on to talk about uh, some of their stuff over their careers. Um, I think that would be really cool to get kind of insight over the way things have changed over the last like 30, 40 years in acoustics before our time. I think that would be really cool. So if you know anyone or want to pester anyone to come on, feel free to do that and email us at noisebustersdb at gmail.com or find either myself or George on LinkedIn. I think that's about it. George, do you have anything else to add? No, that's great. I'm going to continue with my drink and um, I look forward to speaking to you soon. Yeah, cheers everyone and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Cheers.